Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Autzen Audible's podcast. Matt Prey, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Tuesday edition. Coming out a little afternoon podcast, uh, or maybe it's a Wednesday morning when you're listening to the show. Um, change of, of the week has kind of altered how our, our show format's coming out. Um, normally, the head coach at Oregon has has spoken with the media uh, around 11, 12 o'clock on Mondays, and we kind of do a podcast shortly after that, and Dan has changed things up. It's his program. He's running it how he wants to run it, and media availability, with which is typically at noon or so on Mondays, is now at 12.45 in the evening on Mondays, so it kind of changes things how we operate here a little bit. We're, we're adapting. We're getting used to it, um, and from that conversation with Dan late Monday night, um, obviously he spoke about previewing guys, the the upcoming game, this kind of this season. Um, and it's a big one. It's against Georgia, uh, defending national champions, the place he called home for the last couple of seasons. Um, and he was in a key part for their defensive historic levels. The last couple of seasons as their D coordinator, um, he brought up – he didn't bring it up, but a lot of the media has brought up uh, just Dan Lanning versus Ugga, Dan Lanning versus Georgia, um, that storyline. And he really tried to push home the idea that this isn't just him versus Georgia. This is – the you know, he's not playing in this game. Kirby Smart's not playing in this game. And it's, it's more so of the players and getting the players to execute their game plan for this game and, you know, don't play for the occasion. Play for the, the the you know the season and what you're playing for. Essentially, he tried to downplay the, the the landing connection a little bit. Yeah, well, and I think that's the natural part. Um, first off, I think you said 12:45 p.m. It was 6:45 p.m. Just so fans didn't think it was like oh yeah, it was like after midnight or something like that. That would be even hey. more difficult for us. To, which would be a.m. too. Which would be a.m. So yeah, yeah. But I guess it's maybe it was natural to think that. But no, um, no. And I, I think the thing, if you want to talk about this matchup, that's that's interesting, is because there is, it's like kind of, there's a lot of overlap here, um, you know. And, and I I thought about it, but I didn't ask the question. But you know, James also James Crepe of the Oregonian brought up the fact that Brian McClendon was Oregon's mm-hmm. interim head coach for the last time Oregon co- played a football game. McClendon was the coach in the team, and he's now Georgia's wide receivers coach. So. It's not just Oregon with Lanning. It's also McClendon at Georgia. I mean, there's these are two pretty prominent coaching figures who are now on opposing sidelines. And, uh, you know, Lanning pointed out that there will, of course, be advantages that both teams can take from that. You know, Georgia will be able to look at 
what Oregon does defensively and say, hey, we kind of know what Dan Lanning does. We know what his deal is. We know what he did at Georgia. We have an idea of what his defense will be like. And Dan can certainly look at the personnel at Georgia and say, hey, I coached all these guys. I know what they look like. I know I saw these offensive players in practice. And Brian McClendon is going to be able to do the same thing with Oregon's offense and able to say, hey, I coach these wide receivers. I know what they're like. I was the interim head coach. So I have a a good idea probably of the entire team based upon some of that experience and that coaching. So there, it is a, a unique thing in terms of just the amount of overlap between these two programs going into a game, especially two programs that are really far apart geogra- geographically. Mm-hmm. And that historically just like, this is the second meeting and the first in like 30 years. So it's not like these programs are like on the West coast or they have very, very familiar with each other, but this particular meeting, there's, there's quite a bit of that. Um, so I think that part, you know, Lanny didn't, diminish the fact that there is some of that but he also kind of diminished i think what he did more than anything was said hey we both have advantages they know about me i know about them brian knows about us you know i mean there's there's so much of it that i i don't know if it, I, I think it came across like dan basically saying hey i, I don't know if it's going to be a huge edge for either side and then ultimately what matt was getting to was the other part where he says i'm not playing the game kirby's not playing the game brian's not playing the game but it's going to come down to which coaches can coach its players best so that they know whatever tactical advantages those coaches might know, right? It's going to come down to, um, you know, Dan maybe recognizing certain things about that Georgia defense and then conveying it to Oregon's offense or vice versa, conveying to Oregon's defense some things about what Georgia's offense is going to be doing or from a personnel perspective. And if the players aren't taking it in and the coaches don't do a very good job of utilizing it, then that advantage is kind of nullified. So I think it's really unique just kind of this kind of a matchup. And I think there's been some Oregon fans that have thought, Hey, Oregon really has this upper hand here in terms of, you know, Dan Lanning, he knows Georgia, that's going to be a huge edge. Well, the reality is it's probably more nullified than anything else. And I wouldn't rely upon that factor being maybe as big as as some people think, but it certainly will be a thing where I'm sure both teams and we're going to, I think we talk about this in a moment here because of all this familiarity have been pretty careful with what they've mm-hmm. shown, what they've said, all of that stuff, just because I think they're really trying to work some gamesmanship. And, and I'm sure Dan's probably learning from Kirby, and Kirby's responding to Dan, and they're kind of – the gamesmanship this week has been really fascinating in this fall of neither team really says a whole lot, and neither team released a depth chart. And you're going to go into this one. I mean, I've been trying to figure out my keys to the game. It's kind of hard because I feel like I don't know quite as much about Oregon as I normally would, and I feel like Georgia's done the same thing with its side. Uh, just to – to touch up on the first, the first time these two teams met was 1977, a 26, 27 to 16 victory for the Georgia Bulldogs. So yeah, it's been a while, but they're overlapping in a lot of different places right now. Yeah, and I think it's important that Oregon fans who, and I'm sure I've been a part of this as well, has think of this idea that Dan Lanning is going to be such an advantage because he coached that defense last year. <clears throat> it's not, it's not going to hurt. Uh, that's for sure. But then again, a lot of the that those defensive linemen, those those linebackers, those guys are gone to the NFL now. Granted, they were rotating in and out last season, so there's a lot of depth there that Lanning knows. But like Eric was mentioning, there's still Georgia knows how Dan Lanning operates. That's where he's been there for the past couple of years. Brian McClendon knows how Oregon operates. He was here, you know, this this previous season was the last head coach for these for these guys in a real uh, you know, counting game, not just a spring game or any scrimmage or stuff like that. Uh, it's, I, I'm not surprised in the, in the overall message that, that Lanning is trying to put aside this separate storyline about him playing against Georgia and him going back to the team that he was just on, you know, less than a year ago. 
I think that's just kind of who he is. He's not going to try to make this about him ever, um, even though that might be the biggest storyline because, you know, in terms of how people look at how this game is going to go, there might not be a big storyline coming from the actual game. So they got to figure out something else to talk about, which is why, you know, we're asking all those questions about, hey, Dan, you know, what's your advantage of going to Georgia or having been to Georgia and all that good stuff? Um, so again, I don't, I'm not surprised by landing doing all of this. I think I'll kind of transition to what I am surprised about is how similar he and he and Kirby are taking this week. And Dan was asked about like, you know, how often they're, those two are talking him and Kirby smart and basically said, not, not as much as he, as he thought this week, probably we'll begin to talk later and after this week and what's coming up. Um, but, but yeah, both teams, like Eric mentioned, both didn't release a depth chart. Uh, I think that's a new ish trend in college football. There's a lot of teams who went out and did that this weekend. Uh, and like, like Eric was mentioning for the keys to the games or, you know, projecting a depth chart or, just really thinking about when you get asked like, Oh, well, where do you think this guy's playing? Who do you think's doing what? There's some obvious answers, but there's really not, not a lot of things you can base yourself on depending on what we've seen this, this fall and, you know, spring, there are a lot of guys who a weren't on the team and B weren't healthy. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, like unclear positional changes, unclear depth chart about everything. And I just find that to be kind of be surprising just that he's, taken that route in year one, but you know, he's clearly learned from some of the best coaches. You know, this is what a Saban would do. This is what a Kirby smart would do. So, I mean, I'm, I'm still surprised by it all, but I, I thought that Dan, you know, he, he's explained why he's doing it. And I thought that once Georgia didn't put their depth chart out, I mean, it was, it was clear that Oregon wasn't going to do that as well. Yeah, there's definitely some gamemanship going back and forth. Um, Kirby Smart even talked about, I think Eric just touched on it a little bit here, that Kirby mentioned that there's unfamiliarity with with, with Oregon players. Um, he said that it would be easy to you know just pop in some tape of a team that they play on a yearly basis in the SEC, and you know guys kind of already can gravitate what they need to look for and what they need to look at when they're watching film and preparing. And for Oregon, there isn't that familiarity with Oregon. There's obviously some players that the coaches recruited, um, you know, Flo and Swinson being the two biggest. Uh, Oregon or Georgia did recruit um, Braden Swinson. Uh, I, I said Sewell, excuse me, Sewell and Flo. Um, Georgia did recruit Jamal Hill. They did recruit Braden Swinson a little bit, but not too much. Um, and I think that's probably why we're getting a, kind of a locked up Oregon program because they do have some degree of an advantage that, you know, there's more time having to be spent watching games of a bunch of other teams. I think it was Stetson Bennett who was talking this week for the Georgia media day about how it's weird to prepare for Oregon. And they're watching like four or five different college football teams to, to prepare for Oregon. And that's, Kind of why you don't release these depth charts. That's kind of why you don't, you know, tell who's starters because it it just creates more work. I mean, we all obviously know Bo Nix is going to be the guy at quarterback, but there's other positions that maybe aren't as definitively clear. And you know, there's some gamemanship here with with these two guys. And I think Jared's brought it up multiple times that if it wasn't Georgia, maybe things would be a little bit different. Um, if it wasn't a big game, if it was a South Dakota State or a 
Weber State or Portland State instead of Georgia, um, maybe things would be a, a little bit different. But it is Georgia, and that kind of goes into the next part of here is just some of the best players in college football are on this roster. And the game between the game is going to be how does you know Oregon and their defense, how, how do they stop um, Brock Bowers and the other two tight ends that they have, Eric Gilbert and Darnell Washington, all three of them are on the Mackey Award watch list um, for the best tight end in the country. All three of them are viewed as future NFL draft picks. Bowers is like, Correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, but he's viewed as the best tight end in the country, and he's not even draft eligible yet. Like that's that's pretty darn impressive. And then on the defensive side, you've got some really talented players headlined by Jalen Carter, defensive tackle, probably the best defensive tackle in the country uh, for Division One football. Nolan Smith is a big name. You've got Keely Ringo, who's also a big name. Two other guys that will probably hear their names called at some point in the first early rounds of the NFL draft. Yeah, no, it's a crazy talented team. <laughs> I, 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 I've done a couple of pieces of content this week already in my Know the Foe series. And first one was just picking five players, by the way. It was really hard to pick five players to know for Georgia because it feels like I could have picked like 12. I and mean, there's just a lot of guys that are really talented guys that are going to be early draft picks, guys that were big-time recruits. Um, go check that story out. It's up on DuckTerritor.com. But I did sell on five. I always go three offense, two defense. I always pick a court. I always pick the quarterback because that's the most notable player on any team. Um, and then I try to pick a skill guy, a couple skill guys, and a couple defensive players. And it's hard. It's hard to cut down that list. There's so many talented players on Georgia's roster. And um, you know, you look at the recruiting rankings. Second story I did on Tuesday was the ten best recruits um, on Georgia's roster. You know, who who were the highest rated players come out of high school and. This is a Georgia program that stacked five consecutive top five classes together. 2018 and 2020, they had that highest, they had top ranked class nationally. There are 14 five stars in, on this roster. Oregon has four, which is a really respectable number. Uh, I, you know, I'm kind of, I will say, I'm a little miffed why we haven't. I guess I'm getting mad at my employer, so it's probably bad podcasting. But we don't have our team composite uh, like talent evaluation up yet, which is usually a really good barometer for which teams are the most talented. Georgia was second last year. Oregon was ninth. I assume Georgia will be top three or four this year. I imagine Oregon will probably be somewhere between eighth to 14. Somewhere in that range would be my guess. But again, I'd like to see all the figures and, and kind of see how it all figure, you know, figures out before knowing that. But these are two talented teams, but Georgia is just markedly better in terms of the top tier talent that they have. Oregon has a lot of really good players. Kirby Smart talked about, we rec recruited Noah Sewell. We recruited Justin Flo. These are guys that, you know, even when we had the Kobe Dean and some of these really talented players they had, they coveted these players as recruits. Like Oregon's got some mm -hmm. guys Georgia wanted. At the same time, Georgia's got so many talented guys. And I think it was, you know, stood out to me looking through it that, um, you know, from a top recruit perspective, it's not like it was all on offense or all on defense. You know, people know Georgia for its defense. People know Georgia kind of maybe downplay some of what Georgia does offensively, but five of their top 10 players are offensive players. Five of their top – these are recruits' rankings. And, and five of them are on defense. So it's a really talented team. It's pretty balanced. Um, I think, obviously, that defensive line is super, super talented. Uh, that offensive line, by the way, the left guard, left tackle, those were like two of their best five or six players on the team from recruiting rankings. Those are guys who aren't draft eligible either. Um, I think one of them is this year. I mean, it's just – it's a ridiculous amount of talent. You can go check out the story over on DuckTerritory.com. But 
to the Brock, to the Brock Bowers of it all. Yeah, I think he's undoubtedly the best tight end in the country. He was the second he was the second team All-American last year as a true freshman on a national championship team that brought back Darnell Williams, who's a really talented player. They added Eric Gilbert from the portal from LSU. Um, it is absurd the talent they have at that position. And then, by the way, they had a tight end who was drafted in like the fifth round last year. Um, I'm blanking on the name there, but it, it's obscene how much talent they have and have had at that position. And and Bowers is listed as a tight end, but as Dan Lanning said yesterday, they're going to spread him out wide and use him as a receiver. He's going to be a mismatch, and it's going to be really difficult for Oregon um, to slow him down like it is for most teams. The guy had 13 touchdowns last year, and six of those came in their last four games, um, the last five games. So um, that, to me, is probably the big X-factor matchup, is how does Oregon slow down Brock Bowers? And Bennett Williams did speak a little bit about that earlier today at practice, following practice, and said, you know, we think – He's a really, really good player, but we think we have talented players, and we think we're going to have to find ways to match up with him. So, I'll be fascinated to see what the factor, who, kind of how they go about defending that, and and who, you know, who they utilize there. I, I imagine it's going to be a lot of different personnel groups and a lot of different scenarios um, to do that. Because as as Bennett said, and as Dan said, and I think even Joe Lorig said last week, it's not as simple as you play him one on one, and it certainly isn't. You have one guy who guards him one on one. You're going to mix mix and match. You might use bracket coverage. You might do a lot of different things, but he is certainly going to be for, for Georgia, the player to know on offense. Easily the player to know on offense, but you know, like both of you guys talked about in this, in this tight end room, just the pure talent level is absurd. You know, Rick Gilbert was a five-star guy, a tight end out of LSU. And then Darnell Washington was a five-star out of, out of Arizona. Uh, you guys, uh, there's a true freshman for the tight end room, Oscar Delp, who's running fourth string. He's a top 50, or he was 51st in the 24-7 sports composite for this past season. He's running fourth. You know, that's that's would be, uh, you know, one of Oregon's highest rated or uh, tight end commits of all time. And he's fourth in that locker room. It would be so number one. It would be number one. It would one. be number one. So, again, that's fourth in this, in this, in that locker room. It's a, you know, it's, my friend and I were talking about this last night. You know, Georgia is becoming this Alabama type of roster it's where everybody turns over and they lose seven eight guys to the nfl draft and then oh would you look at that on their roster there's still seven eight or nine guys who are going to go to next year's draft and that's what they're at um just like some quick research you know they have three projected first round picks next year they have a couple guys who could easily go in the second um broderick jones is their broderick jones yeah is their best uh, left tackle on the team. He's a redshirt sophomore. He's a borderline first-round pick, but people have put him a lot in the second round right now, and that's only because the season hasn't started. Uh, Amarius Mims is their left guard. He's an absolute stud, a former five-star recruit. Like Eric was mentioning, this is a balanced recruiting team. This is not all defense. I know it has been in the past, but it's really balanced overall, and there's a lot of talent everywhere on this team. And I think a lot of the high concentration is in that tight end room. But for years to come, it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be just a powerhouse. It's going to be – they're going to be very similar to what Alabama is every year with their talent level, very similar to Ohio State with that talent level coming in and out of the program. Uh, it's, it's going to be difficult. And for the tight end room and specifics with Bowers and Washington and Arik Gilbert – it's going to be difficult. I don't know how Oregon's going to match up with it. I know that, you know, Dan has said that you can't just focus on one guy because they got enough dudes who, if you double team Brock, you're going to leave somebody else open. Uh, 
Brock Bowers is going to command a double team basically all season. Yeah, I wouldn't expect him to be. I wouldn't expect him to be as productive as he was last year because he was not that he was a nobody or anything like that, but I don't think anybody expected that kind of productivity from him in a year one system at Georgia. Everybody knows his name now. And all Georgia did was just got a Gilbert who was a higher rated recruit. Who's a bigger body who could be just as productive while Darnell Washington is their guy who, um, gosh, he kind of plays like DJ Johnson did when he was, a, when he was a tight end, you know, Darnell was a five-star athlete coming out of, out of, was it Arizona, Nevada, was it Arizona, Nevada. It was Nevada. Mm-hmm. And he was a five-star athlete, six, seven, 250 pounds, played defensive end and tight end. He played like DJ Johnson did. He will, he's a hell of a blocker. He'll run across, he'll flatten somebody in the backfield, but then he's an elite athlete too at that size and can run pretty well. So he's, again, he's no slouch. He's nothing to just like, you know, not consider. It's like, Oh, we doubled Brock. Surely Darnell Washington will beat us. He, he will. Um, it's going to be really interesting. I have no clue what Oregon is going to do, but I'm very excited to see that matchup. And honestly, I'm really excited to watch Georgia's tight ends because I, you just you just don't see that type of talent come from a tight end room kind of ever, um, not even at the NFL level. It's just for for the – it's hard to compare NFL to, to college, but just the elite talent in that room is really impressive, and I'm excited to watch those guys. I appreciated Dan's just honesty where he's like, look, we love our, we love our tight ends too, but he was also willing to come out and be like, look, this is also a pretty freaking special group of tight ends that, that Georgia has. Like he, he supported his guys, but at the same time also admitted like these I guys, think his are own guys, I think his own guys would admit it. No, they will. hundred oh, percent. No, they haven't though. Terrence Ferguson and Maliki both said they had the best group in the country because that's what you say. Because yeah. that's what you say when you're on the team. I think you know what I mean. That's what you yeah, say. Yeah, I, I get it. It's just yeah, I, I understand. I mean, may, may, maybe behind closed doors they would, but when you're speaking on the record about yourself and your teams, you're going to say you guys are the best. Because what else are you going to say? Not not lower your landing. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I I understand that because the coaches are coming up from a completely different perspective, right? Yeah. It's, it's I don't know. That's that's again. I just, I just I just I just think that's that's what's interesting about athletes is athletes are always going to undervalue or, or at least overvalue themselves in comparison. The coaches are going to get more honest about sure. that assessment. Is my perspective on that? Yeah. There's also I mean we've we haven't even spoken yet to the defensive side. I don't know how much we want to talk here because um, there's a lot we could say and we've got a lot of other things still on the show. But Jared was talking about blocking and and the impact that that. Georgia's tight ends will have. Well, I think we'll get a good feel for. I I think the Oregon offensive line is one of the best offensive lines in the country. Um, I'm not saying top five, but they should be in that top ten discussion. And I feel like we'll get some kind of idea if that's true or not because they've got to face Jalen Carter um, at defensive line, a six foot three, three hundred pound former five star, who's a Preseason All-American is like what Jerry was referencing. Hey, they lost three guys to the NFL along the D-line. All three of them first-round draft picks last year. Well, look, the best one is still on the team, and he's going to be a first-round pick too. We'll learn a lot about how Oregon can handle Jalen Carter, how they can handle Keely Ringo in the secondary, um, Nolan Smith, who's their jack, linebacker, edge-type guy. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how this team can handle facing the Georgia defense. They, even though they, they lost a bunch of dudes, 
Dan, Eric asked the question. Dan even said, like, I understand that people think that they're going to have to fill some holes, but they are loaded. They have they have other guys that you know, are playing in new roles, but they are very talented. And Jalen Carter was second team all SEC, and he only started two games. You know? yeah. And that speaks to his dominance. And, and by the way, he was, you know, you, you talked about early draft pick. I've seen him number two on a couple of boards um, mm-hmm. overall and, and, and likely the first uh, defensive player off the board. It's a pretty decent quarterback class. So you don't know exactly where he'll land, but I think there's a sense that he's going to be one of the two, first two to three to four defensive players taken in this draft. And Nolan Smith might not be far behind him. Um, Keely Ringo, I saw as a top ten pick. I mean, those guys are those three players right there are all probably, you know, I know they don't do lottery in the NFL. That's a basketball mm-hmm. term, but like if you want to use that as a, you know, first sixteen picks for top, you know, first half of the first round, I think you're going to see all those guys go there. And those are the players at all three levels. So, um, and and f- fans might remember that. Nolan Smith was actually by, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau was ranked the number one player in the country for most of his cycle until Nolan Smith was elevated over him by a couple of outlets. And that's what changed the ultimately changed the composite rankings. So um, this is a very talented player um, and a lot of talented players on this defense. It's, it's you know, it, again, as I said at the beginning, we're talking about just the recruiting rankings. I know we'll get to some Oregon stuff on the back end here. I'm sure there are fans who are listening going like, gosh, you're just going to stop slobbering all over the Bulldogs. But the reality is this is a really talented team yeah. and, <laughs> and this is a team that, on paper, is probably more talented than the team Oregon faced, you know, in Ohio State last year, right? I and mean, they were the defending national champions for a reason. They lose a lot. I mean, if you want to talk about some kind of play, I mean, there are places on the team that you kind of go, okay, I'll be interested to see what they do there. Running back is one. They lost both of their top running backs last year. They had three players that are filling those slots who played a decent amount last year. Interestingly enough, Oregon's running back recruiting, uh, recruiting rankings are on par, if not better, than most of these running backs that Georgia's going to be starting. I bet you these Georgia running backs are going to be really good regardless, but just putting it out there. And then, you know, it's kind of interesting looking at receiver. You know, Georgia had a couple of big-time guys. One went to the NFL in Pickens. Um, and then did Jermaine Burton transfer to Alabama? Is that right, Jared? I'm trying he to transferred yeah. to Alabama, yeah. That's what I thought. He was supposed to be their their next guy for the future, and he's gone. So I think receiver, you kind of got. I'm just trying to I'm trying to point out that there. Are, it's not like this is a infallible, like perfect team. They have some kind of they have some spots where there's some questions offensively, running back, wide receiver, ton of talent there. But these are this is these are spots that are going to be completely without much familiarity from last year's roster. Whereas at tight ends, you've got so much back offensive line, so much is back yeah. defense. You know, you, you do lose all those guys in the front seven, but as we've established, you still have two probable top 10, top 15 draft picks um, in your front seven in Carter and Smith. So, um, and that's not even acknowledging some other really talented players. This is a really tough talent. This is a really talented team. Um, and I think it's going to be really, you know, and at the very least, it's going to be a great measuring stick game for Oregon to kind of see where they stack up and how competitive can they be? Where can they win battles? Because if you're able to, limit Brock Bowers or able to actually win some one-on-one batters, battles on the outside, your receivers against a corner like Akili Ringo and, and win some reps and maybe score some touchdowns on them. Even if the outcome is a loss, that's going to be huge for building confidence because that means you're going against the very best and, and winning some of that. I think the same thing is going to be true. And Matt talked about it, about Oregon's offensive line against Georgia's defensive front. Oregon has a really veteran group. This is not a very experienced group for Georgia. Can Oregon find a way to maximize its play and, and maybe Georgia makes some mistakes? And from a physical perspective, Georgia's going to have the better athletes, but can Oregon win those battles anyway using technique and experience and that sort of thing? I think those are the kind of things you're looking at when you look at these matchups um, because it's going to be an uphill battle going against the talent Georgia has because 
as you know, it, 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 what Oregon is going to deal with is what most of the Pac-12 deals with against Oregon all season, which is you go into a game with a talent disparity, and this is one of the few times, and probably the only time all season that they'll have this issue. Probably, I, I honestly probably a hundred percent the only time. I think USC would come close, but again, those are Oregon and USC and they're not, are way they're not closer, the, and they're not on the schedule. Right, so a theoretical Pac-12 championship game matchup, but. Again, yeah. but Oregon compared to USC is significantly closer than Oregon compared to Georgia. And just to, like a quick talent thing, I think Keely Ringo, Nolan Smith, and uh, Jalen Carter, I think those are all guys who are competing for the number one player in their position going into the NFL draft. I think they're all close. I think Nolan Smith will probably never compare to Will Anderson, but right. um, that's a really hard thing to do. So if he's number two in the draft as, a, as an outside linebacker, edge rusher, I think he'll be okay. Um, another quick thing that Eric was talking about, he mentioned you know, there's, despite all of this talent, there are some some positions that don't bring back guys, and that's one to look at is just linebacker. You know, they don't bring back Nicobe Dean or Quay Walker. Those two were both absolute animals last year, and you know, losing a linebacker can really hurt your defense. Those guys are usually the captains. Those guys are usually making the play calls, calling out what audible to do, and you know, Dan Lanning has talked about how. He wants us to be a player-led team, and those players are able to play call. They're able to make an audible if they need to make an adjustment, if they see the need to make an adjustment. So you lose those guys from Dan Lanning's team last season. So that's something to watch. But, yeah, I guess the uh, – Kenny, the... Kenny Kindle as well. Mm, okay. So another starting inside linebacker there. Sorry. Go Did, no, 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 you're good. Did not know that. Um the offensive line versus defensive line will probably be the turning point in the game, probably the ultimate decision, this the deciding factor, frankly. I don't know how Oregon's line is going to hold up. I just I know there's not a lot of talent and that or not a lot of experience on the Georgia defensive front. But you know, I look back to how Oregon's def- offensive line held against Auburn's defensive line when they had, you know, potential first round draft pick at defensive tackle and they had all these guys who were kind of young but but talented they're better recruits whatever blah 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 there's no like there's no Panay Sewell on this offensive line who made such a massive impact at least for the first half of that Auburn game um and I and I worry about what it's going to look like on the edges when you know there's the left tackle or situation for Oregon might you know, like Josh Connerly, I know, has stood stepped up in terms of injuries and is playing there. But, you know, that was a constant rotating position last year. Uh, I wonder if they just moved TJ back, back there to left tackle and move Stephen Jones back on the inside or whoever is going to play left tackle because we don't have a projected depth chart. I just wonder what that's going to be like when you have, you know, Nolan Smith or somebody else coming off the edge and, and Jalen Carter up the middle. It's it's going to be difficult for the Ducks, that's for sure. I, I This Georgia defensive line is was really good last year, and I think, still think it's going to be really good this year. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get off the Georgia train here a little bit and talk about the Ducks and how things are going with practice and the injury report that we've got so far. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Um, hey, it's Georgia week. We've, we, we spent a good 30 minutes getting you guys prepared and up to date on things Georgia. Now, let's talk Oregon. Um, injuries. There's been a couple guys in, there's a couple guys out, and there's a couple guys that are still waiting on official kind of confirmation of are they out for this game or are they not out for this game. And it's confirmation we won't get from Dan Landing. I'll tell you that much. Yes. It's confirmation we'll get when we get to the stadium and we get our binoculars out and we see, oh, they're not here. Um, yes. <laughs> I think, you know, not a ton new today. Um, Jackson Powers Johnson not at least we didn't see him and one thing and we'll get to in a moment that made this difficult today is that they are utilizing a scout team to kind of mimic some georgia which is what you do every week but because of that players are wearing completely different jerseys so it's possible we missed some of the players they didn't seem to be any offensive linemen that were in georgia uniforms from what we saw. So I don't think we missed Jackson Powers Johnson. Or I, I should say, I don't think he was at practice. We didn't see him. Yeah. Kyler, Kyler Casper, wide receiver, freshman, didn't see him either. Um, feel pretty confident that he wasn't there, mm-hmm. but who knows? It's possible he was you know, working as a safety or something crazy. I, I don't know. We were talking about it. I really have no idea. It's possible he snuck in and was punting. I don't, I mean, I don't know, but um, those are two new names, um, guys that have been out for a bit. Bram Walden, he's been kind of still struggling with the same injuries that he was in the spring and last fall. I think that's a guy who I kind of wonder how much he can help this year. Um, and then there's the three guys who've been out for a really long time, linebacker Jade Navarrete, and then defensive lineman Suwabi Podi and Mikhail Afisi. Um, I think the good news here is the names I just read through, with the exception of Jackson Powers Johnson, are guys that wouldn't probably be on a hypothetical two deep anyway. Um, because we don't have a two deep. I can't confirm that. But Powers Johnson certainly is one of Oregon's probably three to four best reserve linemen. Certainly maybe your best interior you know, backup guard or backup center. Valuable piece. His a lack of availability could be a problem if someone goes down. Everybody else is like Kyler Casper was maybe best case, seventh, eighth, ninth in terms of just the yeah. total wide receiver room. I don't know where Jaden Navert really fits in. I don't think Bram Walden was going to be somebody you relied upon early on in the season, and I don't think Pody or Afese are either. So from an injury perspective, sure, guys are out, guys are missing, 
I think you feel, and I'm going to knock on wood again, I think you feel pretty decent, all things considered, about where Oregon's at heading into this game. It's certainly a better spot than Oregon was heading into flying across the country to play in Columbus last year where Flo was already out, Kayvon Thibodeau was already out, et cetera. This is one of the benefits of playing week one against a team like this is, you know, injury should be a little more sparse, you know, and Oregon should go into this game hypothetically pretty close to firing on all cylinders in terms of from a personnel perspective. I won't say that they're going to be playing at their very, very best because that seems silly to expect in their first game. But from a health perspective, I think Oregon's in a pretty good spot right now. In a, in a very good spot. I mean, you talk about last season, even going into the Fresno State game, they were already without Jackson LaDuke and they were already without Patrick Herbert, who had who had, Herbert had a season-ending injury and LaDuke thought he had a season-ending injury, but then came back for the final couple, few games of the season. But, you know, those those were two guys who were going to be in at least the two deep last season, um, yeah. you know, for – like you just went through, there's a, there's a lot, there's a couple guys who are injured who have been injured for the last couple of weeks, but uh, you know, Jackson powers Johnson is probably the only guy who's really going to be in that two deep that, you know, we can fictitiously imagine what a two deep is going to look like. And I would see Jackson powers Johnson in, in that list. Um, so we just, should we jump into practice time? Do it. All right. It was, a, it, was a, it was a different type of practice today, I guess. We got a little bit more time. Uh, we saw, you know, Jeffrey Bossa hype up the team, get everybody to jump into special teams drills, which we love so much. Uh, nothing, nothing overly crazy about the special teams. Um, I think we should probably talk about the, the scout teams and just the, the uniform changes and how it wasn't – it was a, a – a, different type of scout team than we've seen in years past where it's actually kind of a mix of, of people who are you know, probably maybe even starters or at least on the two deep. And now they're, you know, acting as if they're, you know, Georgia, that they're going through the motions as a Georgia running back or wide receiver. Yeah. Terrell Tillman was playing the Brock Bowers role in practice, which I thought yeah. was notable just because this is a guy who athletically is supposedly top tier. But as you said, Certainly not the most talented tight end in Oregon's room, but I think that's interesting. He's given that look. And do we want to even name some of the names that we're working with the scout team? I think just it- like just a few to get for the, our listeners to have an idea. Like, you know, Noah Whittington and, and Bucky Irving were scout team running backs today. Just this was Dante, this different Dante, than- Th- Dante Thornton was a scout team receiver. Yeah, it's just Brandon different. Doris. Than- oh, Dorless was himself. No, on defense, though, wasn't he? No, he was he was still in his his green three jersey. He oh, okay. was still himself, but it's just different than what we've seen in in years past with with Oregon scout teams. Usually, it's you know unless it's like a you know the third string quarterback who could still work up to you know like Robbie Ashford would be in in years previous. These are just you know Dante Thornton, Bucky Irving, Noah Whittington. We all think those guys have a chance to chance to start the season. Frankly, I think you know Noah Whittington and Bucky Irving are in. A good positional battle with Cardwell and Dollars and Jordan James and I, I know, think, all of these. Things. I think Bucky was wearing zero. I think he was in his uniform. I think Cardwell was the one who wasn't. No, Cardwell was in twenty-one. Sorry, I'm Winnington, Winnington was wearing six and Jordan James was wearing two. And I think Bucking Irving was in zero. Cardwell was twenty-one and Dollars was five. Is how I had it written down. I, I have I, Jordan James wearing twenty, and I have Bucky. No, Irving Jordan, Jordan James two. was hundred percent in two. 
Sorry to have a little debate about this on the on the podcast, but that's that I'm I'm I would bet really big money on that being correct. Not that it's okay. the biggest thing in the world, but no, 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 I, I understand. I, I thought it was sort of interesting if, if if we're looking at it face value of like maybe maybe Irving Cardwell and dollars, but like if you if you're trying to decipher two deeps, like maybe those guys have separated. But then I also go, there's no way Dante Thornton is like so far down the depth chart that he's like. That he's not even. Well, we saw that today. He wasn't. He was the second team Z guy. Yeah. You know. Right. And, and Caleb Chapman was wearing nineteen as the third team Z guy. And the when the running backs went through reps, it was Irving, Cardwell, Whittington. Yes. So this is exactly why I go through. It was. I go through all of this, and it's like, I don't know if we want to take anything away from a depth chart perspective, but it is really notable to me that you've got probably two of your best running backs, two of your best wide receivers, several of your best receivers giving a look. Like that, that's that's unusual from what I've seen here. Oh, yeah, big time unusual. I think it's it's smart, though, from the staff in general. Is you know, why are we going to scout scout team guys who just aren't going to be nearly as good a competition compared to what, what the actual guy is like? So – Having Thornton or having or having Whittington, whatever the case may be, I think is a really smart move by the staff in general. Um, I don't know. If, I don't know what what our other practice notes are in general, unless we want to go through the the, the three deep from the receiving drill. I think that's. I mean, we don't have a depth chart. Like no, I think you. Should, I, why don't you just read that? Because could you want to just run it down from X through Y through or I guess X Z yeah. and H. Yeah, yeah, of course. X receivers were Troy Franklin, Isaiah Crocker, and Justice Lowe. Uh, running backs, we we sort of went through it, but I'll go through it again with uh, Bucky Irving, Byron Cardwell, Noel Whittington, Sean Dollars, and then Jordan James. Uh, tight ends, this was interesting, but Terrence Ferguson, Maliki Matavau, uh, Cam McCormick, then Patrick Herbert. Um, H receivers, your slot receivers, started out with Chris Hudson, Josh Delgado, then Seven McGee. Um, interesting. Z receivers started with Chase Coda, Dante Thornton, Caleb Chapman, and then Isaiah Bravard. But after the first run through the lines and all the quarterbacks are thrown to everybody, uh, Chase Coda moved from Z to H. He moved from outside to inside playing the slot. So then Dante Thornton donning a number 84 jersey, which seemed to be six sizes too big for him, uh, was suddenly the, the first string Z receiver. Um, quarterback wise, I know everybody is interested. Uh, there was nothing. These are guys yeah. just throwing routes to people. It, yeah. There was no order. Um, all three of them threw to guys at the same exact time, um, except for one of the drills. But again, no order. Didn't seem like there was any hierarchy, but it was fun to actually see like a football be thrown around and it not just be to another quarterback. Yeah, I was just going to say, this is the first time all fall we've seen anyone run routes. And catch passes. So this was like a big, <laughs> a big day for us. It was a monumental afternoon, or I guess early morning for us out of the HDC. Um, not that I want to take too much away from it, because the order of these lines might mean a lot, and they might mean absolutely nothing. But just like off, it's the, interesting. Top, off the top of my head, like notable to me that Chase Cota was ahead of Dante Thornton in one line for the Z. Notable to me that Chris Hudson was two spots ahead of Seven McGee in the H line, and notable to me that Cam Cormick was ahead of Patrick Herbert as the third yep. tight end. Those are the three yeah. things that stood out. I think the rest of it's all about what I would have thought. Yeah, I think those are the, the couple things that stand out pretty much. Um, I think, oh, yeah, and Chris Hudson, A, two spots ahead of Seven McGee, but Seven McGee, third 
right. behind Josh Delgado, who I, who we've heard that has had a very consistent fall camp, um, similar to, to like the same kind of praise that Troy Franklin has gotten. Uh, Troy Franklin starting at EX has is just zero surprise to me. He's there. I'm wondering. He's there. I'm wondering if they'll try to cross train like Thornton or, or Coda at the X because you know that the X receiver we just haven't seen anything from Isaiah Crocker throughout his career. So it's, it seems like it's a, it's a pretty big drop off from Franklin to Crocker. Granted, we haven't seen so much from Franklin, but he's also a sophomore and not a fourth year red shirt, sophomore junior from, uh, for Isaiah Crocker. And just one last thought, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. It's just uh, usually the X receiver in this in this offense is the one that's going to lead the team. And this is why I picked Troy Franklin. He's usually, that's the guy who usually gets a lot of targets. Mm-hmm. And I and, and that I also reason I was liking Troy is the same thing we're talking about. When he told me who the other X receivers were, in my head I went, well, I don't really think anyone's really that big of a challenge for playing time for him. Uh, yeah. uh, you know what I mean? So you're not wrong. And that's not to say it's also possible that Chase and Caleb Chapman, who he also mentioned that have played over there, Kit Kyler Casper, also a little bit of an X. Yep. Some of those guys might be pushing for reps, and they just did, we didn't see it today. But I don't know. I. I think what I came away from the from watching that was maybe we're maybe our Chris Hudson, Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton triumvirate is, is pretty healthy, but keep an eye on a Chase Coda and maybe a Josh Delgado to be a little bit more impactful than we thought. Mm-hmm. But this is again breaking down five minutes of practice and trying to take away too much from it, probably. <laughs> Absolutely, but hey, best five minutes we got all year. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's gonna do it for us here. Uh, on the Outs and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back there this week with more episodes. Uh, we've got an interview set up with our Georgia site, so we'll get an insider on the Georgia Bulldog program, uh, as well as our prediction show and, and more coming up here this week on the Outs and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.